We're continuing our study in 1 Corinthians this morning and and indeed ramping it up today. I had hoped to have a week left for doing chapter 16, but we'll do a summary of it today. And that will conclude our study in 1 Corinthians. It's hard to believe that we've been doing this for since September. It's gone by really fast, but it's been a wonderful study. I hope you've learned as much from it as I have. So we'll begin by reading through just the end of chapter 15 this morning. And we'll discuss chapter 15. And then we'll come back at the end and do a summary of chapter 16, assuming we have time. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-five through 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful passage, one of the most encouraging passages in all of Scripture. We thank you for giving us the uh, the opportunity to study it together this morning. Would you impress it upon our hearts? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been looking at the resurrection now last time and, and this time. You'll remember that he began chapter 15 by giving us a summary of the gospel, uh, certain elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he says are of the most importance, of the greatest importance. There are some things that are not of first importance, but this is one of those things that is of first importance. If you don't believe this, then it's doubtful that you're a Christian. So this is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. And then the fourth most important thing in confirmation of all of that, he was seen. And then he goes through the list of those to whom he appeared after his resurrection, including all of the apostles. And you'll remember that it was one of the requirements for being an apostle that you had seen the risen Christ. So he sets forth the gospel, emphasizing the importance of the resurrection of the dead and of the resurrection of Christ. He's doing this because apparently there were skeptics among the Corinthians who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, who maybe perhaps had had claimed to believe, well, Christ was raised from the dead, but nobody else after that. And he shows the illogic of that. He, he shows the illogic of not believing in the resurrection of the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, then there could not be a resurrection of Christ himself because he was a man. He was a perfect man. He was both God and man. But if man cannot rise from the dead by the power of God, then neither could Christ have done so. And now he finishes up today in verses 35 through 58, this, this wonderful passage regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he answers the question, well, what kind of, again, it's a skeptical question that they were raising he he says what he answers the question what kind of body could this possibly be if if people die and they decay and some people's bodies are lost altogether and certainly those that died 2000 years ago there's not much left if anything of their body so what kind of body could this be that is raised from the dead and he he gives us a wonderful answer of that that we've just read about so let's uh, proceed through the, this passage. Let's talk first of all about what you found to be the key verse, which is the one verse in all of this passage, 35 through 58, that best captures the meaning of the entire passage. And there's no correct answer to this. People will have different verses that they think uh, meet that criteria. Yes, Chuck. 
First Corinthians 4 for that. It says, But when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Um, and the reason is that I think it captures the verses that have gone before, and that's a really nice job of introducing the next thing he's going to say about victory over death. Yes, very much so. And, uh, and I think, like last week we saw, we all, I think everybody who, who shared their, their key verse, we wound up having two verses because the thought continues. And that was a case with my key verse that I chose last week. Here, 55 is very important too because it continues that thought. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So Paul mocks death. Death has been defeated. Uh, it's the last enemy to be defeated. And it's a, it's a wonderful thought for the Christian, uh, especially at those times when we may love, when we, we may lose a loved one that we know is a Christian. We know that death has been defeated and that person will be raised again. And Paul tells us here that it will be with the same body, but a different body. It's the same, but it's different, isn't it? It's a, it's a glorified body. It's a spiritual body, not a, not a natural body. So, yes, that's a great uh, verse, key verse. Who else has one? Yes. That went with the, um, I guess, the action, which is 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And why did you choose that one? Because it was the action. In other words, uh, like we got the previous version, it's kind of set the context. This is what right. we're to do. Okay, yeah, this is, this is the application of everything that Paul has told us here. And it, it's... Uh, it's imperative. He says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So he sums it up and applies it. This is what we ought to do. Therefore, remember, we talk all the time about the word therefore. When you say the word therefore, you ask the question, what? Therefore. What is the therefore therefore? Well, it's referring back to what he's just taught. And he's saying, therefore, because this is true, be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. So, very good. Let me give you my uh, key verse. It's 49, I thought was appropriate. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that is Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, that is Christ. So that's the analogy that he uses between Adam and Christ. Uh, by one man, sin came into the world. By the man of heaven, that is Christ, righteousness came into the world. And sin was dealt with and death was dealt a final concluding blow and, and taken care of forever because of the act of Christ. And I think that sort of captures some of the idea here. Let's look at our discussion questions. I hope you had an opportunity to go through them. In verses 15, 35 through 42, Paul rebukes the skeptics 
and explains how the resurrection of the dead works. What does he compare it to? There are several, three questions here, I think. The first is, what does he compare it to? The second is, what are several other examples he uses from nature to explain the resurrection? What do these analogies say about the power and sovereignty of God? So who wants to answer the first part of that? What does he compare the resurrection of the dead to? Yes. Seed. Seed. He uses the the seed. And what does he say about the seed? Well, it looks like the dead, you've had a death, right? So the plant dies and there's nothing left with that little right. dried up seed. And, but yet, God puts it back to life. Uh, and further, he gives these things on the form. Right. So it's like the form of the new body in the dead. Yeah, it's like, it's like the seed. When the seed is planted... What comes up as a result of planting of that seed, of the seed, in effect, dying, that germ that is in the seed comes forth, the husk, the container for that germ, uh, eventually, I guess, gets subsumed back into the soil. So it's died. But what comes up? It doesn't look anything like what was planted. It's a glorious thing that comes up. Even a weed is glorious compared to the to the seed that was planted. It doesn't look anything like it. It's green and it's alive, clearly alive. And so he says this is a great analogy for the resurrection of the dead. This body gets buried in death. And it is dissolved, essentially. What what comes as a result of that burial is the same but different. It's the same plant, so to speak, but it looks entirely different. You can never tell that this plant came from that particular seed. So the analogy here is to the seed. He gives several other examples that he uses from nature to explain the resurrection. What does he use there? A fleshly body, and he goes through and compares. uh, Not all flesh is the same, he says. One kind of flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds and for fish. So there are different kinds of flesh, and he uses that to explain what happens in the resurrection of the dead. It's the same body, but it's different. It's a different body. And just like there are different kinds of flesh, of human, of animals, of bird, of fish. This is going to be a the same body, but, but it's going to be a different body that is raised from the dead. What else does he give there? Heavenly bodies. The heavenly bodies. So he, he says there's a difference in the heavenly bodies, the difference in the earthly and the heavenly. And There's a different glory of the sun, a different glory of the moon, a different glory of the stars. And in fact, each one of the stars has a different glory. I think he's using the word glory there in that passage to mean appearance. It's it's a grand appearance of stars. If you've ever been out, uh, my first opportunity at seeing all the stars was in Arizona uh, at night driving back from the Grand Canyon. 
and being in the back of a station wagon and looking up uh, out the back window of the station wagon. And it was, it's glorious to see all of those stars at once. And then again in Africa, it was different stars because you're below the equator where I was, but glorious stars, but each one of them's different. And he's using this as the, uh, as the idea that explains how the resurrection body is going to work. So uh, three things, a seed and then flesh, flesh differs, and then the heavenly bodies differ. They're the same, a star is a star, but each one is different. And so this body is going to be, uh, that when it dies and decays, it will be raised again, a completely different thing, yet the same body, uh, a, a glorified body. Now, the third question there, what do these analogies say about the power and sovereignty of God? And the answer there is in the text. Always the answer to the discussion questions is in the text. No speculation is needed. So what does it say? Verse 38, what does it say? But God gives it a body as he has chosen and each kind of seed its own body. It is God who has done this. It is the Almighty who has from eternity past determined that this is the way things are going to work. And he has decreed that there will be this resurrection of the dead, of those who die in Christ. And uh, and he says it, it's it's... God who has given this body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. So very much this is a a verse that sets forth, I think, the power of God to be able to do that and his sovereignty in having the absolute uh, right and power to accomplish what he has decreed in eternity past. So he, he says that it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Right. But the first fruits of the resurrection was Christ himself. Right. And Christ's resurrection, it was a physical body that yeah. Thomas could put his finger in his wounds and his side. Right. And I, I read, I can't remember who it was, about that Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father in a physical body. Right. Um, and so even though we're raised as spiritual bodies, we will also have physical bodies that will be glorified and perfect. Right. And I, and I think the word spiritual here, when it says, when he compares the natural and the spiritual, and he talks about a natural body and a spiritual body, he's still saying body. It's a spiritual body. So I think he's using the word to mean um, in tune with the spirit, perfectly in tune with the spirit of God. Much as we would say now, talk about someone saying that's a spiritual person. It doesn't mean they're a ghost. It it means uh, they have a body, but it's perfectly in tune with all that God has provided. Um, and, And that's a glorious thought, to think that Christ was raised from the dead 
in a body. And to think that if, if we are not among those living when Christ comes again and we experience death, that we will be raised again. Even if our body is dissolved, um, even if we, I hope I don't get eaten by a shark. That's why I don't go in the ocean. But even if I got eaten by a shark, it would be my body that is raised again and glorified. And we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And that will take place in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that that, that change occurs. And that, that body will be imperishable. Imperishable, yes, yes. This body is perishable, but that body will be imperishable. Uh, it will be perfectly suited for uh, existence in eternity. Okay. Comment about what is right uh, with our mortal remains, burial, cremation, sprinkling of ashes. Yeah. Um, you know, ultimately, it doesn't matter what happens to the body, how it winds up returned to nature, returned to the dust that it was made out of. Um, historically, it's been the position of, of Christians that because of this reverence for the body, knowing that it's going to be raised again from the dead and exist in eternity, uh, the, the tradition has been to bury the body. Uh, to go through a burial and not to do cremation or, or any other disposition of the, of the body. Um, technically, it doesn't matter. God's going to put it back together. But the, the tradition is the respect for the body is to engage in proper burial of the body. Okay. Um, Paul continues to illustrate the resurrection of the dead by giving another analogy in verses 43, 42 through 49. What is this analogy? What does he use there in 42 through 49? King James says earthly versus heavenly. Earthly versus heavenly. Or natural versus spiritual body, yes. But... But he but he makes an analogy explaining he, he he sort of does it in reverse. He sets forth all of these things in verses forty two through forty four, and then he gives the analogy in verse forty five that sets all of that in context. So what's that analogy? The first man versus the second man. The first man versus the second man. It's Adam compared to Christ. And that's further uh, indication of how the resurrection of the body works. Uh, it, it's the same but different. The first man became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So... The same, they're both human. Christ in his earthly presentation was human, perfectly human, a perfect man and a perfect God. Uh, but, but he was a life-giving person. Adam, by his sin, introduced death into the world as, a, as the curse 
and, and the sin nature devolved because Adam was a representative of all of mankind. And, and when he sinned, we all sinned, and we inherited that sin nature. Christ, when he came, lived a perfect life for us. He died a perfect life for us on the cross. He was raised again from the dead by God who put his stamp of approval upon the work that Christ had done, that he had accomplished that perfectly, that, that God the Father had sent him to accomplish. And so he was raised from the dead as, as indication of the approval by God for all that he did. And, and that's further teaching regarding the resurrection and, and how it works by this comparison of Adam and Christ. What does it tell us about the before and after of resurrection? And, th and those, that's that list of first things that come in this passage in 42 through 44. What are the things that are listed there? You mentioned one. Yeah, perishable and raised imperishable. What else? Dishonor to glory. From dishonor to glory. What else? Sown in weakness and raised in power. The natural and spiritual. The natural body and the spiritual. And how did you say the King James says it? The earthly. The earthly. Uh, yeah, a natural. Earthy, earthy. So it's earthy and spirit and, and heavenly. Or here it's um, it's natural and spiritual. But it's a body, not a not a just a spirit, not not a ghost. There's a little bit of a key, though, in 47 also that um, talks about that man was formed from the dust and he was created. Right. And obviously Christ is not created. Right. Uh, the first man is from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Um, yeah. So what's the final outcome for us in that passage? Right. Uh, isn't that a wonderful thought? That just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, so we shall bear the image of that heavenly man. And we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Um, <laughs> Helen asked me this morning, how many times have you gone through this lesson? I said, well, I finished it Thursday, so I reviewed it then, I reviewed it Friday, and I reviewed it Saturday, and I got up at 6 o'clock this morning and reviewed it again. And she says, it's really good, isn't it? And I said, yes. <laughs> you, got to, you can just read this over and over. And, and I tell you what, when I go to a funeral now uh, of, of a believer, I remember that passage, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? 
I think the King James says, O grave, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Uh, and it's, it's a wonderful thought uh, before you go into that, that memorial service or the funeral service for a loved one that you know you're going to see again and they're going to be there in a glorified body. Wonderful thought. Here's the list that shows the before and after. The before and after, it's a perishable body. It will become imperishable. It exists in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It exists in weakness. It's raised in power. It's a natural body. It will be a spiritual body, a body, a spiritual body, one that's perfectly in tune. In other words, our body now is suited for existence at this time, in this place. Our resurrected bodies will be perfectly suited for existence at that time, in that place. The first Adam's a living being from the earth, the last Adam a living spirit from heaven. Those who are of earth bear the image of the man of dust. Those who are of heaven shall bear the image of the man of heaven. And then the body that we have now is mortal. If we are not among those who are living when Christ comes again, we will die. We will all die. We have mortal bodies. Our bodies will be raised immortal. We will live forever in those bodies, and it will be glorious. And it's a glorious thought. You know, when we get down, and we all do, the sin and and the things that go on in the on the earth we all get depressed sometimes down what a thought that all of this is going to take place and we will be in a place where there is no more death there are no more tears for god himself will wipe away those tears wonderful third question what is the mystery and what is the victory? So what does he say here is the mystery? 50 through 58. Behold, he says, I tell you a mystery in verse 51. What is it? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Right. We shall not all sleep. Some will be alive at Christ's coming again. So not everyone will sleep, but all of us will be changed. We will receive that glorified body. It will be in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Uh, that's, that's the mystery. Something that we could not have figured out. That's what a biblical mystery is. We would never have figured it out on our own. It has to be revealed to us. And so this has been revealed to Paul. And now Paul is telling us the mystery. This revelation of, of what happens in the resurrection of the body. We shall all be changed. What's the victory? Verse 57, death is swallowed up in victory. 
Uh, no, that's 54. 56? Right. Right. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the victory over death. There will be no more death in heaven. Well, here's the outline. Uh, two major points, the resurrection of the body in 35 through 39 or 49. And then the victory over death in verses 50 through 58. And as we've seen from our discussion questions, it begins with a, with a skeptical question, probably expressed in this letter that Paul has told us that he has received from the Corinthians, where they express some skepticism that, that the dead could rise again. And he rebukes them, you fools. Essentially, he calls them fool, you, you foolish people, he says. And he rebukes them. And he gives them that, that first analogy. It's a three-part analogy. The analogy of the seed that's planted and dies, and it springs up something looking entirely differently, a glorious body compared to just a mundane body that was planted. Flesh, just as one form of flesh differs from another form, so the earthly body will differ from the heavenly body. And then the universe, the stars and the moon and the sun will all differ from each other. And even stars differ individually, each from the other. And But that's explanatory for the resurrection of the dead. This will be a same body, but different body. It will be a glorified body. And then he gives us the analogy of Adam. He gives a description, first of all, of the resurrected body, the things we looked at. It is imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual. And then he gives us what the analogy is that explains all of those things. The portrayal of the second man, that is Christ, is a spiritual man, not a natural man, a heavenly man, and not an earthly man. He's... It's the man of dust, that's us, versus the man of heaven, that's Christ. And there will be a transformation. There's a continuity there. It's important to to see the continuity between the bodies that we have now and the bodies that we will have. And it's just like like Christ, the, the heavenly man, who has a body now sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, which is a glorified body and one that is perfectly suited for right now where he is in heaven at the right hand of God. And then finally, the victory over death. In verse 50, there's an expression of this impossible inheritance. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's an impossibility. Therefore, there has to be a resurrection of the dead. There is a glorious mystery that we just read about. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. There is a magnificent result in that we have borne the image of the earthly man, and now we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. And then there's an appropriate 
exhortation that, that someone picked for their uh, key verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, we have two minutes left, so let me do chapter 16 so we can finish up the book. 16 is, is, is very much a, a housekeeping, I suppose we could call it a housekeeping uh, chapter. He tells them about this collection for the saints, uh, beginning in, at, chapter, at verse 1 of chapter 16. And he tells them on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So he's, he's collecting a, uh, an offering for, the, uh, for those who are in need, who are believers. He talks about his plans for travel. He intends to come back to Corinth uh, yet again. And he may spend the winter there, he says. And then he lets them know that Timothy is coming to see them. He issues some final instructions uh, concerning Apollos. He gives one more imperative, an appropriate exhortation here in 16 as well. And then he wraps it up with some final greetings uh, for the folks in Corinth. Here's his, the way he wraps it up in verse 13. Similar to the last verse of chapter 15. If all of these things are true, then how should we conduct ourselves? We should be watchful. We should stand firm in the faith. Act like men, he says. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. It's a fitting wrap-up for our study of of First Corinthians and these. Uh, I'll call it, they're wonderful people in, in Corinth at that time. They had a lot of troubles that were of their own doings and, and a lot of trouble out of, that grew out of pride. Um, some of that pride well-deserved pride because of, of the position they had geographically, of economically, of renown throughout the, uh, the known world at the time and people traveled there. Uh, it was a tourist destination, so to speak, because of the games that were played there. So they had reason to have pride, but they went overboard with it. And and they they thought that they had arrived already. All of these promises of God regarding the spiritual nature, that is the nature that will be in tune fully with the Spirit of God, they thought they already had it. There wasn't going to be any resurrection of the dead. And they had already arrived by being saved and, and by becoming spiritual people, they thought. And Paul puts all of that to rest, doesn't he? Uh, throughout this book, not just this, these final chapters, but throughout the book, he puts it to rest. That this is not so. There's something more coming. When Christ comes again, the trumpet shall sound. And... The dead shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, and we shall all be changed. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, wonderful study this year. We thank you how you have superintended in it, uh, how you have taught us the things that you want us to know, things perhaps that we already knew but had neglected that we needed to be reminded about. We thank you for that too. Would you go with us now? Would you help us to keep these things that we have studied throughout the book of 1 Corinthians in mind? Uh, Help us to do the things that your word indicates that we ought to do. I pray for your superintendents over the summer adult Sunday school. For those who are teaching, would you help them to prepare well and teach well? Would you prepare our hearts to be receptive to what they teach us from John Owen's uh, wonderful book on the Holy Spirit? Uh, We thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.